and welcome to Women in Retail Talks, the podcast where C-suite executive women in the retail space share their stories of professional growth, leadership development, personal journeys, and more. I'm Marie Albages, Senior Editor of Women in Retail, a membership-based community of executive women at leading retailers and brands. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Carrie Baker, the president of Canada Goose, uh, the producer of Extreme Weather Outerwear. We're talking with Carrie about how she got into the world of retail, how she moved from communications to actually leading the company, and how she's keeping her team motivated. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah, so we can uh, kind of jump right into questions. And I love to start with kind of an overview of how you got to where you are. Can you kind of walk us through your your career journey and and really what led you to Canada Goose? Absolutely. It depends on how far you want me to go back. You know, I started with a paper route in grade five. (laughs) I'm sure it taught me some lessons. Um, No, I'm kidding. I I have had quite a non-traditional path to my current role, which frankly, I quite love. I think it's different. I think it shows a different path to to a commercial role. But I did, as you said, I started in communication. So out of university, I studied communications. I thought briefly about journalism, but ultimately chose PR. I loved, you know, more the people aspect, telling stories, orchestrating experiences, kind of influencing the way people saw, you know, the world products and and people. So I just loved that part. Um, So when I graduated from from that program, I went right into an agency and honestly could not have loved it more. I I think it's a little bit, I don't have ADHD, but it's a little bit of the, you get a sense of hopping to different industries, different size of companies, different types of people. And so I got to work with just such a wide variety of industries, people. And so I stayed on there for 12 years because it just kept feeding, you know, if I got bored in one industry or I felt like, okay, I've, I've done as much as I can in that that space, I could move on to something else without actually having to move companies, which is quite rare, I think. Um, so yeah, it was an amazing, amazing training ground for me. And actually that's how I got introduced to Canada Goose. So they actually were a new business opportunity for us. It was a small company and really nobody outside of Toronto or the, you know, maybe the Northern Canada had heard of the brand. And so I was part of the pitch team that, uh, and so we won the business and I worked with them as a client for about a couple of years, two years maybe, and then had an opportunity to come in house. So definitely the last thing I thought I would do at that stage, I felt like way too early to go in house. I had this perception that as a communications person, you went into a brand when you were sort of ready to be in maintenance mode and it couldn't have been farther from the truth. So I'm very glad I made that, made that switch. Yeah, that's interesting. And before you before you go on, because I want to hear, you know, how you went from communications to then, you know, leading the company. Um, I love what you said about like having such a wide variety of of industries just within that one agency. I mean, I was in journalism before this too, and that's what I love about it is every day is a little bit different because you are touching on so many different industries, but you're still at the same job. So. Um, I love that you said that. And my my follow-up question to that is how did you how did you know when it was time to leave the agency and go in-house? Like what were you looking for there? 
It's a good question because I don't know that I was, I frankly I had to be convinced. I, I loved agency life just for all of the things that you just shared, right? You get bits and bites of everything. And I, I absolutely adored that aspect of it. And so to me to think to go into one brand and at the time we were uh, just a wholesaler and really only on down parkas, um, I had to be convinced that there was, there was opportunity here. And um yeah, to me, it just, I, I, I mean, there were certain situations that I felt like I had done what I needed to do at the agency. So I felt like I was leaving in a good time, but um, it wasn't something I was seeking out. I had a couple of opportunities that I was considering, but this ultimately, I was drawn by two things and it was definitely the product. I had, you know, I had been working with them. I knew it, I knew what it did. I knew the power of this product and I loved it. And then the people. So the idea that you could start a new job already knowing you know, the personalities, what pe what makes people tick, the culture. Um, I just loved how, like, A, the people, but then how they treated each other. I hadn't seen that in a way, you know, with other clients or companies that I'd worked with as in the agency. And so that plus, like, you know, how they saw the world. Um, I think I, I got really excited and passionate about one of the programs that we worked on early days as a client was um, in the citizenship space. So it was um, just prog programs that I think they were really passionate about. I also got passionate about. And so it just seemed like, you know what, if I'm going to go in house, which again, at the time it felt like a concession, um, this was the brand to do it with. And I'm obviously so glad I did. Yeah, those are all like really good reasons to to yeah. join a company. So I love that. So walk me through then how you went from in-house comms to being president of the company. Yes, it's been a fun, fun ride, a wild ride. Um, so I started as the VP of communications and really we didn't have, we had a marketing team, really strong marketing team. But as I said, we weren't a brand that was known around the world. And we thought we have this great story to tell on a business front, on a product front. And so part of my first job was setting up our PR network around the world and really just creating, crafting and creating the stories to be able to get out there and, and share what we have created. So that was, I can't even remember how for how many years that was, but in addition to that, because we were the size of the company we were, I got a lot of opportunities to be sitting at the table, to be leading areas, or at least, you know, overseeing areas that, you know, frankly, had no business doing, customer experience, collaborations, like things that when you're a small company, you know, you, you get to try a lot of hats on, which I, again, adored and had the trust and sponsorship from, from my leadership team. And they believed in me, which is, you know, not everyone's experience, but, um, it was awesome. And so then as we, the company evolved, I was there a couple years before we um, uh, looked at an investor. And so Bain Capital came on board and they were investor. And then a few years after that, we looked at going public. And so that was at the time when I moved into a chief of staff role, which um, we had never had one before here. And at the time, I think it was kind of an emerging role. But again, it played on things that you had to know audiences, you were used to triaging, you were um, had your hands in a, a number of different, you know, pies, as you would say. And I think a, such a critical role in as we were going public, knowing audiences, storytelling, how do you craft that message? How do you tell the story to, a, you know, a now a financial audience that was new to us? Um, so I had a lot of opportunity in that role to to be a part of the IPO, which was super exciting. It's like every comms person's dream, right, to take a company public. So it was very exciting for me. And so then after that, in trying to think just before the pandemic, which I became the president of North America as a region. And 
let me tell you, that was some fun. Um, moving from some, you know, an area that you really know inside and out, you feel comfortable day to day, then going to this new role that's already going to be different, but then the whole world changed. And so it was quite the ride for a couple of years. And then only last year I moved into the global president role. Yeah, that's that's got to be tough doing that transition plus pandemic. I'm guessing everyone went remote for a while. Um, we did, yeah. What yeah. were what were some of the biggest differences between your chief of staff comms role to then like running North America and eventually running the entire company? I think there, I mean, there's so many differences. You're in operation, right? So when retail, you're thinking, you know, hourly sales, you're thinking daily sales, weekly, you're so focused on performance and how to course correct if you need to, or how to double down when things are working well. And, you know, in a comms role, yes, you're, you're in the weeds, but in a very different way. And it's usually about the people or the message, not the actual thing. You know, you have a privilege in communications to just say, okay, here's what should be done. Someone else has to then go execute or figure out what that, how to make that hat possible. Now I was sitting in that seat going, okay, now, now how do we make it happen? Not just, Hey, this is what should happen. And that was fun for me. It was, it was a big, big learning opportunity great opportunity to get into the, the teams. You know, I couldn't actually visit stores, but that was a real challenge for me because I wanted to be, you know, working in stores, seeing what our teams were seeing, but you had to do that all virtually. And so that was a challenge, but it was interesting. I think, you know, I wasn't alone in that ever. We all were, um, but it's just, it's more, I'd say in the weeds and yet you're still, you're still driving, you're still directing people. So you're not actually the person, you know, at the cash, but you have to know what that role is like and what the challenges are and what the opportunities are so that you can, you know, bring in new programs or initiatives that help us make help make them better. Yeah, and you know a lot of a lot of the women that we have on here and that we have at our events um they always say, you know, it's it's really lonely at the top. And one thing that they always say that they didn't realize was you know, one there's there's no manual for how to run a company and how to yeah be a, a supervisor and a manager to all of these staff members and two they they always say that they 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 struggle with the people coming to them the the staff members reporting to them and being afraid or hesitant uh to communicate what they need because you know the big boss is in the room and i wonder if if you felt that way when you became president uh, and what that transition was like for you? I certainly identify with the first part of like lonely. And I wouldn't say lonely at the top. It was just, again, because I did it during pandemic, I feel like we were all lonely. So it was a bit of a double whammy, but there was actually, I looked at it and felt like there was some sense of togetherness also because we were, you know, sitting at home, we're being remote. You're trying, we're all trying to figure this out. How do we do it? And so there was this sense of, um, not comfort, but again, I'll use the word togetherness in that we were all, we were all in the same boat. And so, you know, I tried to do things like stay connected because for me, that's so important. I don't like to just sit behind a desk and read documents. It's like, I needed to hear from the people. I get very energized. So, you know, we did things like virtual store visits or, um, you know, it sounds so silly, but it was really meaningful to me. I'm not sure if it was meaningful to the team, but things like coffee with Carrie every Friday morning or once a month or whatever the frequency was, but just again, for them to feel like we are here together, there's no wrong answers. Let's just talk what's going on. Um, and I think that's really important to me about, 
I know I have the title of president and that I, that comes with a lot of responsibility, of course, but we're all in this together. If they're not working, then I'm not doing my job. And so if I don't hear from them, if I don't ha ha create an environment where they can be honest and talk to me like a person, not like their big boss, then I, I think I failed. So that was a lot about, I thought a lot more about how do we connect and how do you lead from inside versus head office mentality. So, you know, I spent a lot of time doing that, whether it worked, I had lots of trial and error. So um, some things worked, some things didn't. Um, but that's really how I try and, I tried to carry those lessons through even post pandemic in a quote unquote normal world. Yeah, I was gonna ask, you know, how do you, how do you keep that togetherness and that connection going? I mean, during the pandemic, I think we were all like trying to stay connected as much as we could through through Zoom and other means. But then, you know, as we return to quote unquote normal, how do you keep that that togetherness, that communication and that motivation for your teams, especially if you've got some that are kind of hybrid, remote, in office? I don't know what uh, what your team structure is like, but how do you keep up that motivation, you know? three, four years into this kind of new world of retail we're looking at? I wish I had a silver bullet. I, I think we're still in trial and error more mode. Um, and on top of that, because I'm in a global role, it's not just, there are people that I will never, even if we all return to the office or to the stores and full time, I mean, stores are back, but um, we're, we are hybrid. But in a global role, you're going to be dealing with people in different time zones that I'm never going to be able to see face to face on a regular basis. So I think to me, it's it's about connecting meaningfully. So it doesn't not necessarily frequency. I think the tendency, especially during COVID, people we needed to over communicate. Right. You wanted to make sure and. Uh, people had an opportunity. They felt connected. I think now we got over meeting if I'm going to be honest. And so I think now it's, we're trying to figure out, okay, what is the right frequency? I don't need to talk to someone every day that, you know, they don't need me to talk to them every day. They certainly don't want me to talk to them every day, but if they need to talk to me every week, make sure that meeting or that call or that, you know, in whether it's in person or uh, virtual is very meaningful. What do they need from me? What do I need from them? So I've that's a lot of my focus and just resetting that um, how we engage, not necessarily the format. Um, but to your other question, I think it's an interesting question you posed about how do you keep your team motivated? Because I actually don't see that as my job. And I'm not trying to be controversial, but I don't think I as one person can make any other individual person motivated. I think I think of my job is to create the right environment for them to thrive and, and to be personally motivated because I do believe energy is contagious, passion is contagious. Um, it's one of our core values here. And so if I'm not that person, then how could I expect anybody else to be? And so, you know, creating that environment about being flexible, you know, that ties to being very just human in the moment, um, being empathetic, uh, you know, not pretending that someone who has to do a longer commute now to an office isn't actually a longer commute. That is a, that's a reality. So recognizing that. Um, and then reinforcing the benefits of being in person when we can be, when it matters, you know, so whether it's that's eating lunch with a team in the cafeteria, whether that's having a face to face because we're brainstorming and that's a little harder to do on virtual, making sure that I'm saying that's when we need to be in person, not I need to be in person because I'm checking up on you. So that's how I see my job. I think it's it's a false reality to pretend that I can instill motivation in any given person. I think it's much more about creating the right environment for them to feel motivated. 
Yeah, I love that. That's worth like repeating. Your job is to create the right environment for them to thrive. And I think that that comes, like you said, from those meaningful conversations, from modeling, like this is this is who we are. This is how authentically we're going to lead. And so therefore you can feel like you can thrive in the environment where we are being flexible. We are being empathetic. We are having these meaningful conversations where you feel like you can come to me if there's a problem and I can come to you. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. So when you're looking at kind of the next generation of female retail leaders, they could be, you know, even within your company or, as you're seeing, I'm sure you've got connections, you know, outside of the world of Canada Goose. What do you think are some things that they should be focused on as they're trying to advance in their career? There's lots. <laughs> I think it's a big job to do. Retail is constantly changing. So anyone in retail, but particularly women, because um, I think there's unique challenges and privileges to that, to being a woman in retail. Um, I, I would say the first thing is really owning something. And that could it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be, you know, that you're the greatest technology expert there ever was. But I do think you need to be an expert in something because when you own something, when you have a very distinct perspective, when you are passionate about a topic or a thing, pro, it could be process related. That's when people come to you, right? It's, it's, um, it, it, it's infectious. You know, when you're an expert, people, you're seen as that expert, no matter how small it is, people come to you. And I think that gives you opportunities that if you are just a generalist might be a little more challenging. So I think that's one. I think another one is the obsession with customers. So, you know, being a people per, I don't know how you're in retail if you are not obsessed with what customers are doing or potential customers are doing. So that's knowing people, what drives them, what what scares them, what inspires them. I think that's very powerful. It's critical, but it's so powerful if you are tapped into that knowledge. And I think, again, as women, we're, we are the purchases of, of the world, right? We are the biggest consumer. And so I think there is an, actually a big advantage to knowing yourself, but also knowing, knowing what people around you are doing. So I think that's critical in retail. The, there's a third one that is, again, less about specifically retail, but I do think that Everyone I talk to, I, I when I hear this phrase used, I, I start to cringe and I and I try and hammer it out of people. And it's it's uh, this is a personal message to myself, and that is the phrase of "fake it till you make it." So we have to stop with that mindset because we're not faking it. So just because you're not perfect at it doesn't mean you're not you, doesn't mean you're not doing it. Doesn't mean you're faking it. So and it can't. It, this spurred from this conversation with a couple of my colleagues, female colleagues. And we were all in relatively new jobs or uh, bigger jobs. Um, and we were talking about it. And one of us, it might've been me, probably was me actually, said, ah, we're, you know, we're just fake it till you make it. And one of them kind of stopped us and, and scolded us nicely, but for using that phrase. And her point was that, wait a second, like we are doing the job. Doesn't mean we are at the standard of where we want to be eventually. Doesn't mean we're not, you know, we're, we're perfect at it yet that's okay. We, it doesn't mean also that we're faking it. And I think that that idea of that phrase just contributes to that personal belief of like, we shouldn't be doing, you know, the, the imposter syndrome. And so I really, that's been a really conscious effort in my own brain. And I, again, talk to anyone that I'm mentoring or, or just working with to say like, just get that mindset out of your head because we're doing it, we're trying it. And that's the most you can do. And 
And part of that, I think, is, you know, getting really comfortable with making mistakes. If you are hung up on being perfect, you know, you're not going to make progress. And I think that's a career killer and particularly for women, because, you know, there's lots of studies about we need to, you know, even in applying for a job, you need to look at it and go, I have a hundred percent of those skills versus 50%. Men will just go for it. I think we need to borrow from that and go for it. So that's, again, not necessarily just for retail, but in general for women. No, you like took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that goes back to women feeling like if they don't have 100% of the qualifications, that they are faking it and that they do have imposter syndrome. And so I love that you said that. And I think it it comes down to also having leaders who, who see and reflect that it is okay to not be perfect 100% of the time and to not know how to do the job 100% of the time. I was just talking to um, someone that we're going to have on a panel in uh, later this month about allowing employees or showing employees that you can fail, that it's okay to fail as long as you fail forward and you fail quickly. Uh, And having a leader that is saying, trust me, it's going to be okay if you fail and showing that reflection of, you know, this is the authentic leader that you want to see. And this is them saying, you don't have to have it all together all the time. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, how boring to be perfect, um, really, because I mean, you're not trying, if you know how to do the job, you're going to keep doing it in the exact same way. And that is right. so boring and doesn't interest me. But I agree that idea that, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say, let's celebrate failure. I know there are some theories out there to do that, but I do think we should talk about them instead of hiding them because you're going to learn something. You have to learn something from your mistakes. If you're not, then okay, there's a problem. But I do think, I love that idea of, you know, as leaders, we have to see, we have to show up in the way that we want our teams to show up. And one of the things I try and be in is brave and not try, I think, not because I think there's something in being brave, but I just, I'm not afraid to ask a stupid question. I'm not afraid to question a decision. And of course, as a leader now, I have that privilege and people will listen to me, but I've always had that sort of attitude, a bit of, you know, um, a bit of bravery. I'm not scared of getting scolded or having someone look at me funny. And so I, in doing that, I try and be more vocal so that other people see it's okay to do that, right? Like ask this the silly question. You'll learn something from it, or you'll learn something about your audience and how they view you when you ask that question. Um, but it's okay not to have all the answers or, or t- and again, fake understanding, that's brutal. That's when you start making bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think so many of us tend to be like people pleasers. And I think what you described is a skill that you, you learn as you build up, you know, tenure in your, in your, in your job, in your career. So thank you for saying that. And Carrie, we know that, I mean, the next generation of female leaders are going to have their own set of challenges being in that that industry and being the gender that they are and so i always like to ask this question of our of our guests because you know our audience is women in retail but have there been challenges for you throughout your career that you faced specifically because you were a woman either in in comms or in the 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 leadership role that you're in now i think it's such a, an important question i I think about this a lot. We, you know, my female colleagues, women in my life, we talk about this a lot and it's such a wide variety of experiences. And I have to say, 
well, I've certainly had to work differently and maybe sometimes harder when I was the only woman in the room, but truthfully, I cannot say that I felt held back because of it. And one of the things that I think I'm grateful for is I actually think it often was an advantage, truthfully. And I, when it, when I knew that it was an advantage, I leveraged it to its full extent. Um, and I think there's something in that, that I think I'd love women for us all to see that. And even if the world doesn't, even if the people in the room don't, I think there, it is an advantage. We see things differently and different is good. Um, but I also do recognize my, my circumstances and I just listened to this amazing podcast called Guilty Privilege. And I thought, Ooh, I identify with this, but it's this idea that this, I have, I grew up in a white middle-class family. My dad was very vocal about telling me I could be whatever I wanted. My mom was an entrepreneur who was a, a really good example of doing things differently. And there's privilege in that, right? I, I also chose to have children. So I didn't have to make some of the sacrifices or choices that I see some of my colleagues make. So in all of that, there's privilege, but I've, I'm choosing not to sit in the guilt of it. And because I think that can be um, a missed opportunity, but instead look at the power of that. Okay, so what in my experience, I have not felt held back. How do I make sure that that's the experience for other women that I'm interacting with, whether it's in the company, whether it's partners I'm working with, whether it's people, younger women that are coming up um, in the industry that I'm mentoring, how do I make sure I can try and create that for them? So again, one, an experience that has no, no barriers to being a power, no barriers to having a voice. So I think that is kind of not a mission. I, I wouldn't go so far as that, but I really do think about it. And how do I, what's my role in making sure that I have a, 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 a part in making that come true for other women? Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I wrote everything you said down because that, that really resonated with me. So thank you. <laughs> Happy. Happy to you. So the last, the last thing I want to ask you about is a little bit about Canada Goose. Um, what trends and, and initiatives are you really most excited about this year, next year? What's, what's, uh, what's been keeping you up at night uh, for good reasons? Yeah, it's usually the good reasons that keep me up because like your brain can't turn off. You've got so many ideas. Um, and that's really, that is Canada Goose. I, it's part of the reason I joined because again, it's, it was a, we're a 65 year old or more than 65 year old company now, but we've only been a retailer for six years. So there's still so many things to do, so many new milestones, so, so much new ground to break. And that is what keeps me excited. I have to try and stay focused and keep the team focused on like, okay, not everything can happen in this next year. Um, but that's, it, it, it spans so many areas. One new product category. So we, we just launched trail sneakers. Um, footwear is a very new product category for us at Canada Goose. It's we're in our, I guess our third season now. So being very well received by customers. So that's exciting to me. Uh, new business models we're launching. We recently expanded our e-commerce platform called Generations, and we're also entering into travel retail. So again, that from a commercial perspective, I get really excited to see how this our brand shows up, how our people um, show up in that that environment, and then just geographic expansion. We there's still so many places that we are opening new cities, new markets. Uh, we ended our fiscal uh, with just 51 stores. So we've got lots more to open everywhere around the world, Miami, Zurich, Sydney, you know, truly everywhere in the world, there's opportunity for this brand. And so I get very excited. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's not without its stress, but it's good stress. It's like exciting stress. I think I would 
the bad stress is when you're just, you know, you're stagnating, you're maintaining. Um, and so there's, <laughs> there's no stagnating here in this brand, which is awesome. Um, what else? Another, I, another area that I'm quite passionate about and excited about is our sustainability journey. So as I said earlier, that was part of the reason why I joined the company. We were doing some really interesting things with communities in the North, um, Inuit communities, um, programs that were just part of who we are. And so we've, We've um, expanded those, doubled down on those, but also made some really ambitious um, environmental goals, sustainability goals. And so we're tracking, even despite COVID, we're tracking against our 2025 commitments, achieving some of them even sooner than planned, which you don't often hear in this area. So that's exciting. There's a lot of energy in the company for that. There's a lot of commitment um, from our teams to bring those goals to life. And then I think more philosophically, again, it's kind of where we talked about before about COVID, like you're we're out and I'm just so excited where that isn't the first topic on hand. <laughs> Finally feels like we're emerging out of our cocoons. We're getting back out into the into the field. We're going to stores. We're um, hand in hand with our teams. And so it just feels like we're collectively getting our mojo back across the industry, which is really great to see. Yeah, that's awesome. I can hear like the passion in your voice. Um, so that's really great that they they have someone like you at the helm who's so excited and all good things keeping you up at night, I hope. All good things. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, Carrie, thank you so much for, for joining me and for really, um, really sharing, you know, your authentic uh, story about, about what it's like to be, to be a leader and a female leader. Um, and I wish you the best of luck and I cannot wait to see uh, what is in store for Canada Goose. Thank you so much. It's been a privilege. It's been very fun. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please go to womeninretail.com slash podcasts for show notes. Women in Retail Talks is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review our show. Lastly, if you're a female retail leader interested in joining our community at Women in Retail Leadership Circle, visit womeninretail.com slash apply. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Women in Retail Talks.